Welcome back to Driving Theology. This will be an evening edition, which I haven't done in several months, or at least a month. Uh, this is, what is it, March 15th, um, 2017. Just heading back home. And, uh, yeah, we'll be recording this uh, doohickey. <laughs> uh, it's been... Man, a long several weeks. I've been down with allergies and well, a cold before that, and then that went right into allergy season. Here in Japan, we have what's called uh, the Kahun Show season. Kahun is uh, pollen, and specifically this time of year, it's from the cedar trees. Uh, cedar trees uh, kind of bloom, and they put a lot of uh, brownish, ornish, orangish. Uh, pollen in the air and it just goes everywhere it sticks to everything it sticks to your windshield it gets in your clothes and in your house and in your car and if you're allergic to it it's just about the worst time of the year um, so if I'm sniffling a little bit I apologize I'll try not to sneeze into the microphone if I can help it um, but this uh, pollen allergy was caused by a bit of a short-sighted decision. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is how I understand it anyway, but Japan after World War II hardly had any trees left anywhere. All of the trees and all the timber, uh, the old forests and what have you had been cut down for the war effort and used um, in the decades-long uh, campaigns that Japan uh, was taking against, uh, whether it was the Chinese or people in South East Asia or America or whatever, uh, Korea as well, um, their uh, imperial era, which was in the 19, I don't know, I guess from the 20s to the 1940s. And of course, they ended up losing World War II, and they fought fought almost to the last man it seems like until they finally gave up when they could see that the mainland was going to be invaded and they stopped short of that and part of the negotiation I think was to keep uh, Japan a sovereign nation even though it was occupied for a time by the American troops anyway there, there were almost no trees left and of course they needed to rebuild their country that not not only devastation from the two atomic bombs that fell, uh, but also from uh, the bombing of Tokyo. And there was a lot more bombing that happened on the mainland that, than people realize. Uh, and so they really needed to rebuild their country, Tokyo, and, and some of the cities that were lost in the bombing. Uh, and there wasn't really a lot of wood left. Um, and so they planted these cedar trees. and. These cedar trees are, are a great option because they grow fast and they grow straight and they make good lumber. Uh, and cedar, uh, as you may or may not know, has uh, a lot of anti-moisture and anti-insect uh, properties. They, they don't tend to get worms as much and they don't rot as fast because of moisture. So it's an excellent choice in a lot of ways. The problem is what they didn't foresee was that these cedar trees, once they matured, would put out this pollen. 
and half the nation would become susceptible to these allergies, would become allergic to the pollen. Um, now I wish they would just, you know, plant a different kind of cedar tree that people are not allergic to, or, or plant a, a, a sterile type of cedar tree or something that doesn't reproduce and therefore doesn't make pollen. Or I don't, I don't know the answer, but what I do know is I hate cedar trees, <laughs> especially this time of year. I don't mean I don't mind cedar wood, uh, but the best cedar tree is a dead cedar tree, if you ask me, because man, it just makes you miserable. It, tickles your nose and your throat and your eyes and with some people even your skin uh, for me the skin around my eyes itch and it's usually a good month of just miser being miserable uh, and then you, you take certain kinds of allergy drugs which if you have allergies you know that they kind of mess with your mood a little bit and uh, taking them day in and day out can really kind of make you blue uh, which is what it does for me, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I uh, <clears throat> don't enjoy this time of year at all. Not to mention you're coming out of winter, and if you, it's been a long winter, and it's you know still cold, but the, the, the almost false hope of spring is hanging in the air, but it's not quite here yet. And then you get the a little rain and then you get some pollen and it just makes for a kind of a depressing time of year for me. I've got a couple times a year that I kind of get blue. Uh, one is when summer turns to autumn, that late, late summer. And I would say this is the other one. Um, from here it should get better. I think hopefully we're getting toward the end of the pollen season. Uh, <laughs> the problem with that is you go from the allergy season from pollen right into the rainy season and apparently I have rain allergies as well which was kind of a new thing to me I realized last year that anytime it rains my allergies tend to tend to come up and that's because as weird as this sounds rain for some reason breaks open allergens so when it hits allergens some somehow they pop open and release more allergens into the air and so some people like me uh, have have an allergic reaction when it rains and here in Japan you have a rainy season uh, which is basically June into July a lot of times it lasts about a month and it can rain uh, every day for a month or it, it can hardly get any rain. It just depends on year to year how bad it is. Around bad years, again, that can cause some depression for somebody who's grown up under the big blue sky, both in New Mexico and Oklahoma like I have. Uh, and then you get, you know, into that time of year and you don't get any blue sky for, you know, almost a month. And it can kind of, kind of make you depressed a little bit. So I, I've had a little bit of the, the blues, let's say, from all this junk happening. I don't know, hopefully it'll be over soon. Um, my age, I'm 48 now, I kind of get some nagging injuries and things like that. And I put on a little 
belly fat over the winter that I need to start getting rid of and get, get ready for the uh, kayaking season this year and the rafting season, which is coming up pretty quick. I'm going to have to start dieting pretty soon. I really need to get my toe well. What to do about that? Anyway, I got a little case of turf toe, which is a strained, a sprained big toe. Uh, anyway, <laughs> there you go. That's all my old man problems. Well, nearly all of them. That's all I want to talk about. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's talk about today, man. What's what's going on in your neck of the woods? Uh, you know, here we're we're still on this journey of uh, figuring out life outside of the institutional church and what I like to refer to as swimming in the middle of the pool in the middle of the deep end at that uh, it's it's unsettling and uncomfortable and sometimes you don't feel safe you know freedom right when you get it oftentimes feels great but living in freedom uh, is not as easy as it sounds. And sometimes I suppose I long for the simplicity of institutional church where, you know, as long as I do uh, A, B, and C and check off those boxes, I know that I've done my, my thing. But, you know, here in the, in the, the middle of the deep end, um, there's no such, uh, you know, there's no boxes to tick off. You're just kind of existing and and hoping that you're in the middle of God's will and hope, hope, hoping that you are open to the leading of the Spirit. Uh, it's been, it will have been almost three years since we stepped out of the institution. Um, and, uh, you know, the only thing we do that is somewhat institutional, I guess, is we still meet one day a week, which is a Wednesday night, but we really don't, you know, people kind of come whenever they're ready to come, and we just kind of see who's there, and we do some stuff, and we might read the Bible, we might pray for each other, we might sing songs and, and whatnot. A couple of weeks ago, we started a movie, and hopefully we'll finish that movie tonight, called Son of God, which is a recent movie about the life of Christ that came out. Uh, it was a series done by... I can't remember now. I don't think it was BBC, maybe it was PBS. I don't remember, but it was a series on the Bible called The Bible. And I have the, the DVD, and this is, this is a, an extended movie made out of the footage of Jesus that they made with the same actors and, and uh, pretty good movie it's not bad it's it's got some things that I you know I'm not too happy with but all in all I think it's fine and the people seem to be responding well to it so hopefully we'll finish that tonight uh, we watched half of it before we finished the other half tonight let's see where that leads some of the things that I've been listening to on podcasts and reading which are kind of challenging me. I listened to a podcast today that featured Alistair McIntosh. And he was uh, talking about his book 
Pilgrimage. Poaching pilgrimage, I think is what it's called. Yeah, poaching pilgrimage. And he, he uh, talks about the experiences he had when he uh, went on pilgrimage back to his home island, the island Isle of Lewis in the Hebrides in Scotland. And he... Uh, uh, I want to explain the whole title, but quite an interesting guy. He didn't grow up about the noise going through some road construction. He didn't grow up in a in a uh, tradition that was very mystical at all, or talked about pilgrimages or or anything like that. But it's something that he, I think, he discovered later. And uh, so the idea of pilgrimage is kind of on my mind today. Um, what it seems to have meant in times past was people going to holy places, places where significant people had lived or things had happened, uh, heroes of the faith. Probably the, the most famous pilgrimage people make today would be the one to the Holy Land. People go back to Jerusalem and uh, Galilee to see where Jesus walked and to see the places he lived, to see where he died, things like that. And, and, and I think people are meant to have kind of uh, some kind of a religious experience when they when they do a pilgrimage. Uh, that's probably the, the, one of the more famous pilgrimages in, in the Christian religion. Of course, the uh, pilgrimage to Mecca uh, is quite famous and one that followers of Islam are supposed to make once a, a lifetime. excuse me, at least once in a lifetime. Uh, and that's, you know, that's really far away for some people. Um, there are various pilgrimages on different planets. I actually can't say that I know of any pilgrimages on American soil. Nothing comes to mind. I would think there are some. Uh, I would think a great pilgrimage for Christians to do in support of uh, Native Americans, I would think to be to walk, to walk the Trail of Tears, to maybe do a pilgrimage on the Trail of Tears. That would be something, um, perhaps, that would lead to greater healing between the races in the states. I would think pilgrimages having to do with slavery, um, the slave trade, or even the. Uh, Atrocities perpetrated by uh, by the uh, conquistadores uh, from Spain and Portugal and Europe, uh, who came and, and committed genocide in the New World on the native peoples. Um, those those might be great. Um, I suppose there are some Mormon pilgrimages based on the, the history of. Joseph Smith and the Mormons and, and, uh, from, uh, was it, New York to Missouri to uh, Utah. There might be some there, I don't know. Um, 
But the idea of pilgrimage is, is also uh, much like uh, Alistair McIntosh. It's pretty foreign to me as well. It's not something that I had ever thought about. I, I enjoyed uh, hiking trails and, uh, you know, backpacking, things like that. But I never thought of it as a pilgrimage. But it does appeal to me mostly because of the camping, I think. Um, I'm not sure what pilgrimage I would... I would want to take in Japan, maybe something having to do with the uh, persecution of Christians uh, by the uh, Tokugawa regime might be good. Uh, yeah, I might think about that. I think about going on pilgrimage at some point. Uh, a recent movie I watched, and I know I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, there's there's a famous I want to say 500 mile pilgrimage that people make uh, from the Basque region of France into Spain uh, called the Camino I think the Camino the walk that's a very famous pilgrimage that people have made for hundreds of years uh, in fact there's a movie by Martin Sheen that, that also has a, a smaller part by Emilio, um, Emilio Estevez, his son, which is a, a great movie that kind of is about a story about this old man who makes a pilgrimage in the name of his son who passed away trying to complete the pilgrimage. Pretty good movie, actually. I really enjoyed it. I forget what it's called. Maybe called the El Camino. I don't um, anyway, this idea of pilgrimage is, is pretty interesting. Um, people have been doing it for many years. I suppose if you think about it, the, the Jewish people often made pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The, the Israelites would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem several times a year for the feasts. Uh, maybe twice or three times a year they were required to go to the temple. Um, that actually the, the Jewish religion is based around not Sunday worship or even weekly worship, but around pilgrimage, around the feasts, around special times when you would go to Jerusalem. And uh, in a sense, in a sense, uh, Joseph and Mary, um, going back to the... Uh, Bethlehem to be counted in the census is almost like a, a bit of a pilgrimage. They made pilgrimage back to their town, not because of a religious reason, but because they had to, to be counted by the Roman government so that they could be taxed. Um, I suppose that's kind of a pilgrimage almost. Um, it's kind of a weird word, pilgrimage. I wonder what other languages um, call it this idea of, a, of a, a, a walk to draw closer to God, a, a trail or, or a route that one takes to holy sites, um, whether it's several strung together or one main one at the end. Um, this idea of going to a holy place is, is quite interesting. Um, on the one hand, 
what I know about Jesus uh, kind of leads me to reject the idea of pilgrimage as a necessity because I think Jesus is the pilgrimage. He's the way. You know, he's the way, the truth, the life. He's the. Uh, he, he is the destination, and he is the way to the destination himself. And that, in other words, the Christian life, spiritually, is already a pilgrimage of sorts. If you look at it that way. Um, on the other hand, Jesus did go to the temple. You know, both when he was twelve and other times he he did what was re the pilgrimages that re were required by the law presumably when he was young uh, at least whatever was within his power to do I'm sure he had to defer to his parents but by all accounts they, they were probably very good uh, Jews and followed the requirements of the law But if you think about it from another way, Jesus in the, in the uh, Great Commission, you know, said, go into all the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Teaching them all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them. Uh, so in that sense, if you take the Great commission as a call to every Christian, that every Christian is supposed to be on a pilgrimage of sorts. But it's not to holy places, it's taking the holy to every place, I suppose. It's taking, it's taking Jesus and his message, uh, the message that that he is Lord that he is in charge, uh, that he has conquered sin and death, and that we have been made whole by his blood and brought near to God. You know, which is a obviously a pretty great message, right? That message uh, in a sense might make every place that it touches holy. But not in the way of of, you know, pagan holy spots or believing that a, a place has spiritual power or, or healing powers. Um, I don't see any harm in pilgrimage unless you think you, it has to be done. I think that's where the harm will come in. If, if we, uh, you know, if we come to the conclusion that pilgrimage is a moral imperative that to not make pilgrimage is to, is to sin. Well, in that case, yeah, we've, I think we're, we're in a kind of a dangerous theology at that point. But, yeah, I, I'm actually interested in experiencing pilgrimage. Um, I'm also leery because... The same, the same way that I used to go to church and kind of get cheered up that, that going to worship on Sundays and being with like-minded people kind of charged me and cheered me up. Um, 
and I, I came, became dependent upon that somewhat. Uh, I suppose you can become dependent upon uh, pilgrimages as well, just like some people, uh, and I've been there, have uh, become dependent upon uh, conferences and meetings that special meetings that take place to to kind of uh, recharge you it's it's the dependence that you want to be careful of um, I suppose the thinking that to to have a spiritual experience I have to be doing this or that I think that that thought is is the dangerous thought but to, to you know to take time especially with with the uh, a favorite brother or sister in Christ and to, to say hey let's go let's do this pilgrimage and let's let's see what God does you know while we're there not have too many expectations I think that could be fine and healthy uh, and it's something that you know you just decide to do and, and you try to keep your expectations down then it could be quite good so uh, yeah pilgrimage um, not sure where I stand on that. I think it really depends, and uh, but it's something I think I would like to try sometime. Uh, something else that uh, Alistair McIntosh brought up in this podcast. This was by this a podcast. Uh, you can check it out. It's uh, Nomad Podcast. Look it up on iTunes. Uh, this was the most recent one. We're in the the hundreds. I'm not sure a hundred and what, but it's. Uh, yeah, the most recent podcast that's up there, somewhere around March fifteenth. Where to look for it? Uh, he he talked about the danger of making our Christ too small, and he has kind of uh, this is going to be controversial, but he has a big interest in pagan religions, especially the religion that existed on his island before Christianity came, and. And what truths might be found in that religion and other religions? He, he references Hindu and and other religions religions as well. But he, he he kind of made this statement, and that is: Isn't it possible that Jesus can be found by people of all religions? And then he said, including Christianity. <laughs> It's possible that you can find Jesus in Christianity. Uh, I'm able to laugh at that because I've been that person, right? I've I've been a Christian really all my life, but I can't say that I've known Jesus very well. Much of that, uh, I feel like I know him better today than I've ever known him before, and I would say uh, the last. 17 or 18 years have been the most intense period of that. But I'd say out of the 17 or 18 years, I'd say half of that have been, or even a little less than that, have been discovering Jesus in more and more intense and real ways. Um, both learning more about him and getting to know him better through relationship. Um, so I've been a Christian who knew very little about Jesus. I knew a lot about Christianity. I knew a lot about the Bible. I knew a lot about 
my particular tribe, but Jesus himself, I knew some about, but I didn't know him well in relationship. Uh, and that's, that's a, I feel like that's a significant difference at this point. So the point that you can know and be a member of Christianity and still not know Jesus, that, that should be a, a, uh, a warning to all of us, you know, to realize that a lot of us are Christians religiously, but we don't follow Christ because we don't know him. How can we follow him who we don't know? So that that is a yeah that is a warning. Oops, that didn't sound good. <laughs> um, yeah. So there it is. Uh, don't make your God too small. Uh, realize that people of all religions, every religion, need Jesus and they can find Jesus and perhaps they'll find Jesus in their religion. Um, perhaps their religion will lead them to Jesus, but don't confuse your religion with Jesus. Jesus is not a religion. Jesus is a living, breathing person uh, who, who longs to know you and to be known by you intimately. But don't confuse um, don't confuse him with the religion that bears his name. They're not the same. They are not the same. And if you are a pastor or an elder or some kind of a leader out there, your highest calling is to get people's attention off you and onto Jesus and let that be the end of it. Uh, and the sooner you do that, the better for people, the, the faster they can mature uh, into Him. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take my friend uh, Pat's advice and just cut it off there. I'm starting to ramble a little bit, but there's some a few things for you to chew on. And you guys have a great week, and we will talk to you again later. Ciao.